anything I put out there in the world, I was going to make sure I dropped it at home first. And that was important because what I did was I modeled my manhood in front of my children while teaching them the principles of discipline, teaching them how to die to self. And when I say die to self, there are three points in that, and that is discipline, intentionality, and execution. And I told them when you die to self and when you apply discipline, intentionality, and execution, you are going to see those things that you lay hands to come to fruition. Woo! Easy world, easy world. It's your man and Boogie. Don't worry about the name. Get used to the voice. And it's another episode of Keeping the Towel. Thank you for rocking with me another time, another minute. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a new second. It's a new minute. It's a new hour. It's a new day. And it's a new month. And with that new month means it's another round to make sure that we are still in this fight called life. So, ladies and gentlemen, you know how this game goes. I can't see to it that you drop out the fight yet because if you do, then we're going to have a problem. But... I am in the sparring gym, and I'm going to have a sparring partner with me. And I promise you, you're going to enjoy listening to this brother, man. I got a chance to rock with him, and I enjoyed talking with him. So, ladies and gentlemen, by way of the rolling tide state of Alabama, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Daryl Pops Anderson. Pops, you in the building, sir? What's going on, fam? Anthony, it is good to be on with you today. I'm excited. We've been having this conversation for a minute. And this, today's the day where we get to chop it up. Here's how it goes. Mr. Anderson, I need you to get your hands wrapped, get your gloves on, get your mouthpiece in your mouth, and make your way to the ring. Ladies and gentlemen, I need you to gather around the ring. It is Pops Anderson and Aunt Boogie. And your round, good sir, has started. Let's get it. Let's get it. So, Pops, let's go ahead and let's slide up in this deuce and a quarter, and we're going to put this eight track in. And we are going to start this car, and we're going to go back to 19, none of your business, good people. And you let us know the genesis of Pops. Where did it all start for you? So let me tell you a little bit about myself, and I'll go back kind of from the beginning and, and just work my way up. I'm going to give you the short version, born in Jersey City, New Jersey. Started life in one of the roughest housing projects in the city. Became homeless as a child. Was homeless a little bit during my adulthood and uh, just really had to climb my way out of the top. You know, when I, up to the top, I should say, when I look back and I, I remember the young people that I grew up with, I came up with in the city, most of my peers are dead now. So I'm wow. one of the few that made it out. And when I look back at their giftedness, I call them the lost prodigies mm. because I learned one thing. And that is in some of the most despondent places, you have some of the most gifted people. And, and I remember some of them grew up to be drug dealers, gangsters of some kind of a sort. But if they would have had that guidance, that mentorship, that would have been able to just focus on the gift of who they are. I call it your God design. I believe that every human being has been created in the image of God. So we come with a God design. That God design has a blueprint. That blueprint has steps, has a schematic. And at the end of the day, when you rock in that space, you will have dominion beneath your feet. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not easy. It's about putting in the work. And when you put in the work, you will yield results. So when I look back and I see where I come from, and uh, I see who made it and who didn't. Mm. 
it reinforces my purpose. And I grew up as a man, became married, had some four wonderful children, Prince, David, Ashley, and most people know, or many people know, I should say, my son Jeremy Anderson, the uh, Next Level Living Speaker. And so raising them and pouring these principles into their lives, all their lives, was my first and foremost mission. And so while I was pouring into other people, speaking, ministering, being on the front line when I needed to be, I made sure that anything I put out there in the world, I was going to make sure I dropped it at home first. And that was important because what I did was I modeled my manhood in front of my children while teaching them the principles of discipline, teaching them how to die to self. And when I say die to self, there are three points in that. And that is discipline, intentionality, and execution. And I told them when you die to self and when you apply discipline, intentionality, and execution, you are going to see those things that you lay hands to come to fruition. It may not be easy. It may not be overnight. It is within the construct of your God design. I'm telling you, you will be able to live it one day. So if I could start out right there, just, you know, that's just who I am. And uh, these are some of the places where I've been that has kind of grown me into the man that I am today. It's all started for me in a little city on a Hudson River facing the Statue of Liberty, Jersey City, New Jersey. Brick City! <laughs> yeah, Jersey City, New Jersey, right there on the Hudson. Uh, started in a, a, a housing projects, and in fact, one of the toughest projects in the city, mm. Perry's Woods Housing Projects. Just was one of those kids in the hood, became homeless early on. Had a really tough life coming up. Experienced the street life, went out there and played the game for a minute until I came to my senses. But as a man, when, when, when I look back now and I see where I've come from, my fallen comrades, I call them lost prodigies. Yeah. And the reason I do that is because one of the things I can remember clearly is most of those cats, I'm talking about young men and young ladies, mm. were very gifted. They were prodigies, wow. but they had no mentorship, no guidance, no one to help shape it and mold that God design, that person, that individual that God designed them to be. Because I believe every one of us came into this world with a God design. And because they did not have the who in place to help them to know who they were, many of them was lost in the trap. They was lost to the drugs, to the gangster life, you know, to uh, to the uh, offerings that that world has to offer. And so I'm one of the blessed ones who was able to rise up out of that because I had a father who, though he was poor, he was from the hood, he began to move myself and my brothers to a place where we could see what the other side of the fence looked like, even though we didn't have the means to have it. And so he taught us how to be engaged, how to be disciplined, how to die to self. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, if we're not careful, every individual has qualities uh, that are not so good, but can override those good qualities. So that's what I mean when I say die to self. And this is what I taught my children when it comes to that particular principle. Discipline, intentionality, and execution in that fashion. Discipline, intentionality, and execution. So when you die to self, and when you apply those three principles every day of the life, let me tell you something, you are going to rise to the occasion of who you were created to be. I believe that. 
I've been a minister, a leader, a speaker, an entrepreneur for over 30 some odd years. I've had successes and I've had failures, but I'm gonna tell you right now, to be able to be in this season, to see what God is doing in my life, to see what he is doing in the life of my posterity as my children have become grown and coming to their own. And now we're on similar platforms, working with each other, uh, holding each other accountable, pouring into each other as we pour into other people. Man, it's a sweet season and I'm loving it because it's only getting better. That's what's Living up. by those principles. You was mentioning when in growing up in one of the rough projects in Jersey City, take me into that home. I walk up oh, to yeah. the doorstep and you let me in. What was the home life like with you mm. and your siblings? Let's put mm. it there. Man, come inside, man. It, it, it was rough. Mm. First of all, two beautiful parents. But early on, that thing fell apart because both of them were growing up while they were trying to be one. Mm. I tell my wife this now to kind of make that point clear. When I look at what we've gone through as a family, I tell my sweetheart, I said, you know what, you and I grew up together. And what that means is we were not children together in that sense, but we matured together as adults and we became one by being able to accept the best and the worst of each other and then pour it into each other to build each other in those places. And so my parents didn't have that. So they divorced early and it was an ugly divorce. You know, we watched them bounce off the walls with each other. You know, we watched my aunt come over to break them up to stand in between them. We saw some, some ugliness and then one day my father came home and he packed myself and my two brothers up and we hit the road. We hit the road, he had a little white rambler and you could look down through the floorboard and you could see the, the road beneath you through the rusted floorboard. <laughs> and that, right, that white rambler became our home. Oh. And so we was just living from like the old timers used to say, from pillar to post, bathing and rest stops and in restaurant bathrooms and laundromat bathrooms. We were literally homeless. When it was time to eat dinner, our dinner table was the hood of the car. When it was time to go to bed, our beds, me and my brothers, we were little back then, but we managed to make it work. Two of my brothers, we would sleep in the back seat, and then another brother would sleep in the front seat with Pop. So that was our early experience. But those things were literally shaping me because my father, he would, he would take me and my brothers, he would hold our hands and he would call onto God in our behalf. Mm. And he would say, by any means necessary, save my sons. And that by any means necessary came to pass. He prayed a prayer that I ended up praying over all of mine. And Jeremy, matter of fact, when you read his book uh, from Prodigal to the Prodigy, that prayer is in that book. And this was the prayer that I prayed for mine, which my father prayed for me. Destroy everything they lay their hands to that is not within the construct of who you designed them to be and does not bring honor to your name. Spare their lives. Don't destroy them, but destroy those things that are distracting them from their greatness. And Jeremy will tell you in that particular book, and he tells the story even when he's speaking from time to time, that when I begin to pray that prayer, like my father said, I've been praying for you, don't let me start praying on you. Ooh. And when dad started praying on me, and those things begin to break down in my life. The same thing happened to my, my son. And he said, Dad, every when you started praying that prayer, 
everything that I laid hands on just started falling apart. I was in the game. I was doing this. I was doing that. I was making money, but it just all fell apart. And so God answered the prayers of a father. And while he's answering our prayers, we putting in the work. It's not just sitting back, you know, looking up in the sky and hoping something open up and fall into your lap. No, it's about putting in the work. It's about that discipline, that intentionality, and that execution. So I had to model that in the presence of my family, my wife, my posterity, my seed. I had to model it while teaching it so that they would see no hypocrisy in me. Pops, here it is. You're in this car with your father and your siblings as he prays his prayer over y'all, and you're still in this situation. What's still going through your young mind as you're getting up every day you open the car door to try to live a life of a child and then you got to come back in that same in that car at night what's going through your mind as a as a young child young daryl at that time man you 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 hit home there i remember driving down roads and and highways and and uh, and i was an artist so dad discovered my my gift early on and i'll share that in a little while but I would look out the car window and as we're driving past homes with lights in them and, and sometimes families in front of them and children playing, I would wonder what it's like to be in that family. Mm. I would wonder what it's like to live in that house. And then there were times when people would take us in out of their kindness. He was a single man with three sons and he was literally, uh, he said, I'm not going to give y'all over to those projects, to those streets. And so if, if I got to do it the hard way, I'm going to do it the hard way. And back in those days, it wasn't many ways for a young African-American man still in his mid-20s, still a boy in mind trying to grow up himself, but having the presence to do everything to be the man and the father in the lives of his sons. And so with that, I would look into the homes of, of people as I drove by, and my imagination would go to different places. But I'll be frank with you, by the time I was 14, I, I was full, I was tired of that. Mom was still in, in Jersey City. She had, by that time, she had moved out of the projects and had moved into a row house deeper in the hood, not out of the hood, just in the row house. I remember I was 14 and my brother, my oldest brother was shot. He was a year older than me. Mm. He was shot. He was, I, I, I visited him in his hospital room. He said, my gun is in a, in a certain bush in front of a school. So I went and I got my brother's gun. And I took my brother's gun. I, I used to play drums a little bit as a kid. I sold my drums to a pawn shop, bought a ticket, put that gun in my belt, did what, what we call ran away from home, left my father one Friday night while he was in bed sleep. And when that bus hit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I was, cause that's as far as my ticket took. Wow. But Philly is close to Jersey. And I knew right. if I got that far, mama wasn't gonna leave me in Philly. All I had to do was make a phone call and I would be home. <laughs> and so, but when I stepped off that bus, my name was being called across the intercom. Daryl Anderson, please come to the phone. So I went to the, the desk, picked up the phone, it was dad. You know, he was he was heartbroken. Son, why you do this, this and that. Dad, I was tired. So we called my mother, we got a ticket. I went to New York City, Port Authority, caught a taxi cab, hopped over, went through the uh, Holland Tunnel, and was at home at my mother's home. Now, I had a stepfather 
who was straight street. Mm. He, 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 he fried chicken at one of the neighborhood chicken shacks where they ran numbers out the back. And so his advice to me growing up was when you bring weed into the house, make sure you break me some off if you're going to smoke <laughs> in my house. And, <laughs> and make sure, and forgive my language, you lay as many girls as you can while you can. <laughs> that was his fatherly advice. What? That was it. <laughs> yeah. And so I literally begin to raise myself in the streets of Jersey City. Mm. And that was a rough life because my reference was the gangsters. Right. And the street life. You know, I had some family who was doing well in music, so so everybody in the city looked up to them because they were they were amongst the few that made it out. So we had some people we looked up to that we wanted to emulate, but at the end of the day, my reference was that street life. But Pops, I got a question. Your brother, his last words to you was, yo, this is where my peace is. Yeah. You get your peace and go to Philly, you come back, you come back to Jersey. So mm-hmm. were you on a were you with your brother's peace? Were you looking like for vengeance? Or it was like, nah, I'm just going I'm just protecting self. Or was it a combination of both when you got back? It was protecting self and trying to fit in. When dad would remove us from that environment, and then when we would come back into it, my crew, my peers, they had never left it. So they were always a little more advanced in street knowledge because I missed some time. Right. So I've had to play maker because if I was going to catch up with them and, and, and be accepted in that life, then I had to be, I had to go step by step with them. I, I could not be that cat that's in the background trying to catch up because that life will chew you up, eat you up and spit you out. And so I'm out there now and I'm trying to prove myself, my worthiness to be as street as my boys, my cousins and, and guys who I played with when we were six and seven and eight years old. Now, now we're all around that 13 and 14 year old age group. And, and let me tell you something at that age in that world, it's on a whole nother level than if you're not raised in that environment. So I was trying to play catch up or be accepted while also conveying to others that I'm not going to be messed with. That's you know, that that uh, you step to Daryl, Daryl's got something for you. And I had that mindset. Yeah. And so when I walked the street, I remember they uh, they used to tease me because they used to say, man, you got a certain walk. You walk like you tough. But that was what I was trying to convey <laughs> to the world at that time. Hands off. I was already broken. I had already gone through a lot of trauma in my life. Already knew what it was like to be out there and, and to just to be a reject in life. And so when I came back there, I embraced the world that I knew, the people that I knew. And so I had to get into that space with them in order to survive that world. Daryl goes through his teenage years in the streets. Daryl now hits his 20s. Who's this Daryl now? Oh, yeah. This Daryl is that cat who's living Man, I'm living a dual life, really, because I was gifted. When I was a child, I began to draw, and my father saw the gift of art in me, and I'm a, I'm a professional artist as well, and I'm very good at what I do. And so he would take me by the hand, and he would look at my hand, and he would say, the hand that drew the picture. But he said it in such a way where it was like he was just admiring that hand, the hand that drew the picture. He had a tone to it. And that made me feel like I had something there 
So there were, I was in a very creative space. I'm a very creative being. That's who God designed me to be. So my things was music and art and street. And I was juggling those three balls in life. So by the time I'm in my 20s, I'm playing in some of the local bands in the city. I'm on New York City streets, uh, 42nd Street, Broadway, Times Square, with an art easel and a chair. Wow. Literally drawing vacationers as they're coming to the city to vacation. I'm living that life, but I'm still empty inside. I'm, I'm not satisfied, and, and things are still crumbling as I'm trying to find myself. So I, 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 uh, I caught a plane to Dallas, Texas, some family out there, an uncle who was a pastor. He took me in in Dallas, and, and making that pivot really changed my life because at that time, he began to mentor me. He was from the, the streets of Flint, Michigan, so he's an ex-gangster, now a pastor, and had a very successful ministry there. He took me under his wings and began to mold me and mentor me, and it was actually in that church where I met my queen and where we began our family, and, and from that point on, I knew I had to put in some work to keep this lady, to keep my family together. And I already had that grind in me, that hustle, that work ethic. That thing was instilled in me at a young age. And I was always putting in the work. Some of it wasn't so honest, uh, but when it came to being able to put in the work uh, and, and produce, in fact, and I'm not saying this braggadociously, you know, some of the older cats, who are uh, tilted on the side of that life would come to me when I was 19 and say, put us on, you mm. know, uh, and I would be able to put them on and furnish some houses, buy some cars for some people and 19 year old kid with thousands of dollars under my pillow. Wow. And I didn't know what to do with them mm. because I was still lost. And so when I got tired of that life, and I went to Dallas and I was able to pivot there, met my queen. Now I'm this guy that's got all of that street in him. And that has to be purged out of me right. to become this man I know God designed me to be and who I need to be for my family. Hmm. That right there was another journey. And that journey was hard as as, as the earlier journey. So yeah, it's, it's been a process. Like my son said, there are levels to this. It's been levels, That's, man. Let's get into that purge because it's just like when you're training, right? When you're yeah. training for a fight, what you hear fighters say is not the fight that gets you. It's that training mm -hmm. part that takes it out of you. So exactly. this purge process, because we've heard it, we've read it through the Bible, we've read it through others who have went through this purge and it's, it's different for other people. Daryl, you got this beautiful lady now and... You're on your way to making her wife, but you got to get some things out. What yeah. was this like when you get Man. now to enter this purge phase? Man, it, it, it was tough. What I did early on, um, I juggled about two or three jobs always. Made sure there was food on the table. Uh, did it the hard way. The side of the fence I came from was I already shared that with you. She came from the side of the fence where there was two Benzes in the yard. They lived on a ranch. They had horses, you know, on the ranch. Um, both parents were were making six figures, and that was in the '80s when making six figures with two parents in the house. So, so, so they were um, they were pretty much well to do in a sense. And so now I'm with this queen who was used to having, and she's with a guy who had nothing. And so that alone made me work harder. 
because there were some who was doubting me, mm. some who discouraged her relationship with me. But so now I'm in this place where I'm, I'm, I'm proving myself, I'm proving myself, I'm working, but not just to prove myself, but to be who I simply naturally am, a provider, a sustainer, a giver, a builder, and a workaholic. And so those ethics, I was able to pour into my relationship and we're growing up together. We're going through the hits and the misses. You know, we're going through some tough times. We've got to go through the marriage counseling and all of that, but we're hanging in there with each other because she came from a family, though they had material things, the household wasn't happy because there was some, some, some emotional abuse attached to it. Where in the world I came from, I came from a poor family, but there was a lot of love attached to us. So these two worlds came together and we had to grow up together and make sure that we did what we did for the sake of each other and for the sake of those children. And nothing was going to stop me from being successful because they were the apple of my eye and I wasn't going to let them down. That's an interesting dynamic that... Your wife came from well-to-do but had emotional abuse. You came from the other side of the track, but there was love. That's a that's a very interesting dynamic. Yeah. Daryl, you now, you and your lady get married and you get word. Daryl, I'm pregnant. What goes through Daryl Anderson's head? Now you he hear like <laughs> you Joy. about to be a dad. What's what's going yeah. through your head? Yeah, Joy, put in the word. Do what mm. do what has to be done. To take care of yours. So I'm a young man. Mm -hmm. I'm putting in the work. Uh, like I said, I'm juggling two or three jobs. And because I've got certain talents, I was able to always find some kind of work. And then I was always able to, to be entrepreneurial and do work on my own. So I'm producing art. I'm designing. I got a job over New York City. I was working because we ended up going up there and, and, and for a space. Um, actually, this was actually even before uh, we were, were married. When I made the decision to pivot back, I got a space at a company in New York City. I was an artist. I was designing. It was an advertising company. They did the major campaigns, you know, but I was kind of on the low end apprenticeship side of that. And so that became discouraging. And that's when I broke and went to her. So I had the talent. I had the work ethic. I had the mindset. And I loved my family. Right. That, that was the nucleus, along with the fact that I had given myself back to God. And so now I'm operating from, from, from godly principles that I'm literally applying mm. and I'm learning because I'm testing them. I'm going to see if this stuff works. I tell people all the time, where to God, it's a book of formulas. And when you, when you begin to understand formulas and ingredients, whatever they produce should be what the ingredients call for. But if you add something or take something away, when that thing comes out the oven, it's not what you wanted it to be because you didn't apply the ingredients. So I've learned to be strict with formulas. That's That comes to that discipline part, that intentionality and that execution. And when I begin to see that if I stuck to it, I put in the work, sometimes it was the long game, sometimes it was the short game, I would see some positive results. And I knew then that God had something for me, that I had something in me, and that dominion would be beneath my feet if I rocked a certain way. And I've been living that way ever since. The family's established. Daryl, when you finally decide to enter ministry, what's this like? Because now you come from the streets. 
Hey, yeah. you're try, as you said, you put you, you're applying you're applying <laughs> these principles and formulas. Yeah. What was this like coming from Daryl who had thousands on his pillow to like, oh Lord, okay. This he yeah, ain't well, growing yet. What's going on? Man, that's that's crazy because my father became a minister. Really? Uh, he took us to Huntsville, Alabama, uh, during those days. Matter of fact, when, when my brother was shot at right away, my father was actually in school. Wow. training for ministry wow. and so but we were still on that poor end now saying that to say that ministry and that place where god was always a part of my life even you know when things were tough so i had that spirit in me and i knew that i needed to be that person it was a need it was a hunger it was a thirst to be able to pour into people and so that need and hunger and thirst pointed me to the ministry where I was able to encompass my gifts, not just as a minister, pastor in the church, but be holistic in, in, in my design and in my gifts. And I've been doing that for over 30 years. Mm. Now, um, this is interesting, and I'm glad you, you brought this piece up. So remember I said I, I hopped on a bus, the trailways, and headed back to Jersey. Well, at the time, there was a school on the campus of the, the college uh, where my father placed us. It was a private church school, but we were there until they finally kicked us out because they knew dad couldn't pay the bill. And then, he, of course, he put us in public school. But the classroom, it was called Night Hall, and the classroom was 101. And so I'm a little boy. I'm in that classroom. I get kicked out of the school. And now I, now I run from that situation. I don't want anything else to do because the school is in Huntsville, Alabama. I don't want anything to do with that Huntsville scene. So I go back to Jersey. Mm. I go through this process, go to Dallas, find my queen, and then I'm packing my family up to go ahead now to re-enter the, the, the education field and begin to get myself educated. In Over Huntsville. the years that I had been going from the time I was a kid to adulthood, when I got my first college course, my first class, they said, your class is going to be in Night Hall, room 101. <laughs> and now as a grown man, I'm sitting in the same classroom that I was expelled from as a child. Mm. But now I'm in here and with some of the, my, my classmates were younger than me because I'm in my late 20s, early 30s at that time. And so I realized then God has spoke to me. He said, you my Jonah. He said, he said, you tried to run from me, but I spit you out back where you tried to run. Now, go backwards to move forward and train yourself in serving people. Learn how to become a servant leader. Mm. Mm. That's how that thing went down, man. So, Pops, God has to put you in, the, in that Jonah situation. Yeah, man. In this classroom with these young students. So you could have easily said, oh, nah, we good. Look, you know what? Let me just do something else. What made you... Sit in that classroom day after day, hour after hour with these people who are probably eight, five, some maybe 10 years younger than you. What made you sit in that classroom still? Because I knew that it was it was who I was. It was who God designed me to be. And I had a, a professor. He was a great man, Dr. E.E. E. Cleveland. And uh, in fact, I became his uh, secretary in, in one of the classes he taught us. And he said something to us that really resonated with me. He said, when you have a drive or a call, a purpose in you, he said, that thing is going to eclipse every other competing profession, which means you may be multi-talented, but there's going to be a certain hunger 
and void in you that can't be filled unless you chase that thing. And so when I understood what he was saying, because I was feeling that hunger, it reinforced again, who God designed me to be. I'm multi-layered. I remember I took a personality test and, you know, came back, are, are you sanguine or melancholy and all that? My results came back complex personality. <laughs> that's, my, that's my complex personality. That's my results. Oh, and man. so I understood that. I've always known that about myself and uh, kind of been an enigma in certain places, but it, it, it's all been a part of this growth process. So when you understand who you are, not trying to be something else, not trying to gratify or get through a moment, but literally operating in, in, in a certain space. And so now while I'm going through school, I got a family and I'm doing, I'm, I'm working three or four jobs, security at night for the college. Um, I'm doing um, banners and murals and logo designs for different companies and across the school. Uh, I'm putting in the work. Well, we had a little print shop in the, my little one-car garage, and Jeremy and I would literally see the sun come up, producing T-shirts. I taught him how to. How, I taught him the game, yeah. how to be an entrepreneur, how to to put in the work. And there were nights when we would be working midnight at one. I said, Jeremy, go upstairs, man. You got to go to bed. I mean, you got to go to school tomorrow. Go get your. And he would plead with me, Dad. I, I'm not leaving you down here by yourself. And we would see the sun come up together in the morning, and we would both go to school with ink under our fingernails. So, Pops, here it is. You got your son, Jeremy, who's with you, helping you print up shirts, print up banners and all this stuff, and you still hop to work. This is this work ethic that was instilled in you, correct? Literally, literally. Matter of fact, let me tell you a, a story with that. Uh, remember, during all this time, I'm a student. I'm raising my family. Mm. And I cannot neglect any of those responsibilities. In order to do this, I've got to, I have to have multiple occupations to be able to pay my bills. So I would work the graveyard shift for the security at the school. Mm. And then after school, I'd be printing in my little four-color print, one-car garage print shop. Or I'd be at my drafting table designing something. You know, I did all of these early stuff, ET, and and so we were we were all connected back in those days. It's, it's been a long journey for all of us together, and so I'm doing all of that, and uh, I'm literally burning the candle at both ends. Right. So one night, I did the I did the graveyard shift, and we had to go to church the next morning. Now at this time, I'm serving <laughs> as an elder in the church, so I see the sun come up. You got to go to church. I go home, get dressed, get the family together, bring my family to church, and I'm on the platform today. I'm serving that day. Mm. And so it was time for that altar call, that intercessory prayer. <laughs> and so I came down from the platform, and I got on my knees with everybody else. It was a whole crowd of people that come down to the altar. We on our knees. Preaching is, is, is preaching that prayer. When I opened my eyes up, everybody else was already back in their seat. And I had fallen asleep <laughs> on my knees. I was on my knees sleeping. I got up. I got up like I meant to do that. No, I was. I, I'm, my thing was, y'all. I was just hanging out and praying a little bit longer. <laughs> no. And one of my boys, who was one, he was a classmate of mine. He was up there because he was in, in pastoral ministry as well. He said, "See, he said I tried to call you, man. I tried to." <laughs> but I was on my knees with my head down in that prayer posture, mm. not out. 
I was so tired. Oh, man. You burning both ends of the candle and your son is there assisting you in any way that he possibly can. Where was at the point that Pops had to say, all right, something's going to have to give? Really, really, it it was seeing it through. Mm. It was graduating. And then at that point, because of what I believe God's purpose for my life, before I graduated, I already had a call. And when you say have a call, that means someone has recognized your spiritual gift and has offered you a church to pastor. And so I literally left school and went directly into pastoral ministry. So when I graduated, you know, we were like the Beverly Hillbillies, man. The the, the truck was already packed. Mm. And we headed to the Carolinas. Um, I started my pastoral ministry in Burlington and um, Greenville, North Carolina. I pastored two churches at the same time. Oh, wow. Then from there... I went to Goldsboro, North Carolina. I pastored two churches there at the same time, full congregation. Mm. And then from there, I went to Florence, South Carolina, where I pastored two churches, same congregation. And then from there, I came to the A, and I pastored uh, uh, one particular church, and then uh, the church that I'm at. So over the course of 30, over 30 years, I pastored eight congregations and also administrated K-12 through schools for all of those congregations with the exception of the church I'm currently at. Administrating school, pastoring, leading, mentoring, pouring into people, and, and, and training up my family. Pops, when you're doing that pastoring two churches, full congregation, there's something that we don't ever hear about in the lives of pastors when they, they have that type of schedule. How were you mm-hmm. able to balance that with your family because I'm sure a lot of people tugging on you and everything for your attention your family's tugging you for your attention and then also at the same point in time you need some time for Daryl because you need it so how were you able to compartmentalize all that and, and, and that's the word you literally have to compartmentalize I've told every congregation that I've pastored that you're my second congregation my family is my first congregation. I'm their pastor first. And so I established that going in. And then, of course, it's being disciplined with scheduling, uh, training leaders who work under you to delegate responsibility and authority. Mm-hmm. And when you can delegate and you can trust leaders with certain responsibilities and authority. When God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he came out of Egypt with this multitude, it was his father-in-law, Jethro, and say, you can't do this by yourself. Get yourself 70 good men. That's right. Train them up to be leaders and delegate responsibility to them. So so that's what you do as a leader. You delegate responsibilities to qualified people, and then, then you love on the people with a clear, transparent relationship and understanding that my family comes first. Now, in all the years I've been passing, I've got to make one confession, and that is I've never had a sabbatical. And really? so I've never had a sabbatical. So so that, maybe that season will come. And Thursdays is, is what I call my pretend, my pretend day off <laughs> because it never works out that day that way. So, you know, it, it's, it's about putting in the work, understanding who you are in the call. There's some pivots and transitions. So it's interesting because um, I know that I'm in a season now 
where God is shaking things up for me again. And there's, there's some, some new doors that I'm, I'm going through. And so I'm making preparation for that right now. In this juncture of your life, you're seeing your kids, they've grown, have grandkids. Now Pop is grandpop. And you're seeing your son, Jeremy, who is going around the world, blessing people with his, with his speaking and his ministry. So Pops, how does this look that you can sit back and watch this and also you're participating in it and watching others that you've groomed up get to this point now. Man, it's a blessing. It's a humbling blessing. It's not a surprise. I had a, a plan from the beginning to train them in, in that space, to teach them to take their talents and become more entrepreneurial. And uh, if they wanted to work for a company of business owners or whatever, do that but also know that you have the ability to be your own boss. And so they were trained that way. In fact, Jeremy, in his senior year in high school, he was the religious vice president for his high school. So he had, there was a student there, I forget what it was called, so he was the keynote speaker. He had never spoken before. So he said, Dad, you know, I need, and I was a speaker. So I sat him down and I helped him write his message. I, I I gave them the do's and don'ts of messaging. I told them how to storytell and look the people in the eye and, and you know, all all of what you need to be a successful speaker. I sat down and I taught him. And, and when he spoke that day, he knocked it out the park. Matter of fact, he made an altar call and over 500 men, women, and children came down to the altar call. Mm. That was his first time out the gate. Uh, after that day was over, I had people coming to me, even a couple of professors saying, we would like to be a part of sponsoring Jeremy. He's got a call on his life. He has a gift. And so that's what, when I say training them up, modeling it while you're executing it in their presence, and then being there to, to guide them and mold them and then watch them grow. And of course, E was with us back in those days. Eric Thomas, E.T., Dr. E.T. was with us. And so we're working with, with E. I'm doing work with him. He would come through the house. Yeah, we're doing this. We're doing break the cycle down at the Hilton. Can Jeremy come? Jeremy, go ahead with it. I wouldn't trust my kids with anybody, but I, I trusted them with Eric Thompson. And so now Eric, he's in the loop, mentoring. And and May, another brother, I don't know if Mason West. Mason West. So, so we're now a community of mentors, visionaries, entrepreneurs, leaders, ministers, speakers who are literally edifying each other empowering each other. No hate, no jealousy, just wanting to help each other grow and ascend and and find ourselves in whatever place God has for us in whatever space that is at whatever time and still have the mindset that I'm going to always celebrate you however far you go. So that's been our mindset. Mr. Anderson, let's talk about those three principles that you mentioned earlier. So let's, yeah. let's dive into those three principles that you said that you raised the family on and you hold true to. Because not many times, uh-huh. oftentimes you don't really hear a lot of that. You hear some people yeah. talk about they have principles, but they don't really stand on them. So let's go yeah. with those three principles and you expound on each one of those, sir. And the word of God says that we got to die to self, you know, because we, we got some stuff that is just naturally in us. And if we're not guarded against some of the uh, the negative character traits that we have in us, you know, it, it can lead you down a slippery slope and, and some people never make it back up. 
And so we got to die to self. So when I look at that word, I see three things that I want to get take extract from that. And that is discipline, intentionality, and execution. And my father used to tell us, what you are now, you are now becoming. Mm. My kids can finish some of the sentences because they grew up on those little cliches and colloquials. Um, if I was to say, if any of my children were in the room right now, and I would say it takes more time, they would finish the sentence by saying, it takes more time to do it wrong than it does to do it right, do it right the first time. And so these are the principles that, that I instilled in them. And that's that discipline piece, being accountable, and then allowing trusted people to hold you accountable. Intentionality, have your focus. Where God says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so have some focus. Know who you are. Know who you were designed to be. Don't become enamored with somebody else. And because you see the glass greener on the other side of the fence, you want that other person's grass. Oftentimes, you'll find out that that's artificial turf. Mm. You need to be growing your own grass. You need to be in your own truth. Don't become an emulator of someone you admire because then you've got a lot of imitators out there trying to be anything but who they are. And most of those people... They, they reach a glass ceiling very early. So uh, so discipline, intentionality, then execution is as, as you grow. I tell my congregation all the time, when you grow, you know, and when you know, you go. Mm-hmm. So there's a process to it. You've got to grow first. And that, and that knowledge base that happens while you're growing will now get you ready to move to the next level. When you grow, you know, when you know, you go. And so... These are just little little, little processes uh, that, that I work through right now. My website is online to be dropped probably within a month. And, uh, and Jeremy and I, Chris Crump, we're working on my podcast. So 2024, you're going to have my podcast, my, my new website, etc. And then you're going to see on it uh, what we've already developed within the family structure. Jeremy, myself, uh, my son David, and the team is called I Am. And I am is another acronym for identity alignment movement. Again, a man knowing your identity, aligning with 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 God's plan for your life, and then in that construct being able to move in the direction that has already been blueprinted for your life by the great I am. And so these are the principles that I have instilled in my posterity. These are the principles that I pour into people, and these are the principles that I live by every moment of every day of my life. Daryl Anderson, why do you keep your towel? Because there's always going to be a need to wipe off some time, <laughs> to clean myself up uh, in the presence of my maker, and to let everyone See, one thing about me, the transparency of Daryl Anderson is when I tell my truth and I tell my story. Uh, right now, I'm doing some mentoring at a men's shelter in Atlanta, 250 men, broken men. And so the reason I'm able to relate to them is because I can come through those doors uh, and not from some perspective where I'm looking down, but from a perspective where I went through where you are to get to where I am. Let me show you the process. So I keep my towel because it helps me keep it clean. And then I want to share that towel with others so they can do the same. Mr. Anderson, if there's any last words before we hop out of this ring, my good man, the floor is yours. 
Uh, they got summed it up is be true to who you were designed to be. Uh, Jeremiah 1.5, God said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. Translated from the Hebrew, that word knew actually means approved of. So God says to all of us, before you were born, I approved of you. Well, what does that mean in my God design? That means there was a chain link that led to you coming into this world. And that chain link goes back to generations all the way back to Adam and Eve. And if there was one couple in that link that did not connect, that's where that link was broken and you would not be here. So so you are here because there was a succession of people who who connected and posterity came from posterity into posterity that got us here. And when God said, before you were born, I knew you. He also said, and then I sowed into you. And then I appointed you. And then I anointed you. And so understand that whoever you are, whatever you've gone through, wherever you've been and wherever you are now, understand that you were made in a great image that you have greatness in your loins. There may have been some things that got you off track, but if you've got blood running through your veins and breath coming through your lungs, you have the ability to get back to that place where God wanted you to be and reach the destiny that he designed for you. For some of us, it's a long game. For others, it's a short game. And then when you play in that game the wrong way, it will take longer and it will be harder. And so you're going to have to dig deep, deeper than you ever dug before, because that's the only way you're going to be able to, to get down inside of you and find that fine goal. Go through your crucible, but grow in it and come out of it purified. Well, folks, there you have it. Just what you heard from my good man, he broke it down to you. He broke down the principles that he raised his family on and why he still lives by it. And if you have not got anything that this man who once was in the streets to becoming an incredible speaker, father and pastor, if they could be changed in his life by the great almighty, why you cannot be part of that lineage also. So, Mr. Anderson, congratulations, my good man. You have survived Boogie's Gym and this session, this round is over. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to put all of Mr. Anderson's information in that description box so you'll be able to go and check him out, listen to what he got, and check out what he has out there and support him, support him, support him. And he, as he said, he's going to be having his podcast coming up pretty soon, so make sure you go out there and support him. So I have nothing else to go ahead and add to this. So like I always tell you, wipe the blood, wipe the sweat, wipe the tears, but whatever you do, don't throw in your towel. This is your man and Boogie. I will check you when I check you. I'll see you when I see you. We are out of here. Peace out, everybody. God speed to all who believe. Believe in yourself and believe in your cause.